Welcome back. This is part two of our series on rest and recovery. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and do that. That is episode three of Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. We hope to hear your feedback on part two. And without further ado, here it is. Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, and necessary coaching conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. And it's interesting you bring up character because I remember when when I first sort of like said that on that one zoom call with jp that became our definition of character um the repeatability of positive habits think about the repeatability of positive habits as it relates to rest and recovery what is your character when it comes to creating that time for yourself because there are listen there's plenty of kids who understand the value of rest and recovery this is not like a blanket statement that nobody does but if we're trying to develop long-term athlete development, if we are trying to create high-character athletes, not just good kids, but high-character athletes, that starts and ends with the adults in the room prioritizing the right things. Because what we prioritize then becomes what they prioritize. And so, you know, I've had kids, and this is more the college side of this conversation. We've done a lot of the youth side, but thinking even about the college side, because I know we have college coaches and college administrators that listen to this podcast. The college side of this conversation is that, number one, we evaluate players in a setting that they're never going to be in with us. They're never going to play seven games in a week, right? or in, in, not even in a week, but in three days. They're just not going to do that. right? We have a very rigid training schedule. We understand our commitments, we understand class commitments and this, that, and the other. So we really have the upper hand when it comes to scheduling to be able to schedule that rest time, to be able to schedule that active recovery time. And there's programs that do it really well. And there's programs that say like, nah, there's no ceilings. Like we have to keep going. We have to keep going. We have to keep going. So I think it's incumbent on administrators. I think it's incumbent on the people who help decision makers make decisions to say, hey, if we prioritize this, yeah, it might be a slower burn, kind of like we talked about at the beginning, right? A slower burn mm -hmm. to get where we want to go. But while everybody is sort of running on fumes at the end of the season, if we do this right, our kids are going to be the freshest and most available kids because of the character, the repeatability of our positive habits with rest, recovery, health, prioritizing the things that matter and mentally, we are going to be much, much healthier because we aren't going to have that anxiety because we have chosen to do it this way. And we know why we're doing that and when this is going to matter the most. And I think that's a conversation that many, many college coaches fear having because they don't want to look like they're uncommitted. They don't want to look like, hey, we're not going to do this this day because the expectation external formula wise is no, you have to go six days a week. You have to do all these things. You couldn't possibly give up practice time to do yoga for 45 minutes with your intramurals coordinator or your fitness coordinator who's literally part of your department, right? Those are the things that we as, as, as coaches, as administrators need to do a better job of in terms of leveraging the resources that we already have instead of continually trying to add more pieces to keep the kids at the facility, give them more resources to where they can use them to prioritize their health, their rest, and their recovery. And then we as coaches do the same thing, right? That's where I think we can make some real headway um, in sort of changing the narrative. Because I think, too, when kids ask, like, you know, what is it that you look for in a player? We can name all kinds of stuff. But as we get later into the summer and later into the evaluation period or even further along with certain kids, we're not looking for, or maybe I'll speak for myself here. I'm not looking for them to showcase new skills to me. 
I'm looking for them to showcase the same skills better because that's the consistency of their positive habits. And so if we can even have that conversation with that kid and say, hey, how did you prioritize your rest today? I've done that with recruits and they'll say, you're the only one who asks me about that. Everybody else asks me about how I played. What am I doing in training? How many shots did I get up? Like that's all very important, right? We want to know that you're working on your game. But we also want to know that you're going to come here and actually be available to play right away. And we're not going to have to unlearn as many habits. Our strength coach knows that you have that hip flexibility. Our strength coach knows that your recovery and your tissue is, is, is going to recover as kind of normally as opposed to having to reprogram your brain and your body to understand that the cognitive load and the physical load that you're about to take on as a college athlete is unlike anything you've ever done before, even though you've been playing this sport maybe for 15 years at this point. Um, and I, I think those are two things that, that young athletes and, and high school age athletes and particularly high school age parents need to know as they matriculate their child into college and into that sort of competitive sport environment, that the rest and recovery is equal, if not more important than the actual training that we do. Well, and you, you speak on this, these external formulas of going six days a week. Like if I walk by the office light better be on, right? Like, don't let me right. walk by and see that, that nobody's in the office. We've got to, even if we're not working, we have to at least put on this this allure that we're working. You know, we don't we don't dare want to see the coaching staff out out in the town having dinner, laughing, having a good time, because that's we don't have time for all of that. You know, this is we've got to jump in and and, and make sure that all we're doing is is burying our head into film. You know, burying our head into into scout what's what's the next travel plan going to be what are we going to do over here what are we going to do over there and and i i've you know i think i've shared this story i know i've shared it with you a few times but with other people when we were you know going into those state championship runs at simsboro and getting ready to play and it's the night before the game and i'm watching one more film because i was i was convinced that there was one out of bounds play that might be the key that might get us beat and I had to stay up and watch it. And I was not, you know, not as fresh as I should have been the day of the game, which is not as, as you know, close to 100% as I needed to be for my athletes, for our team. And guess what? There was no magic out of bounds play. I could have watched 50 games. There never was going to be one. You know what I mean? Like the outcome of the game was not going to land on that. And, and for, for the coaches out there going, well, we lost a game on an out of bounds play. And it's like, yeah, like, Sometimes that does happen, but when we zoom out and we, we come back to that idea of character, should the game have come down to an out-of-bounds play? You know, if the other team was, was, was more consistent, then we're, we probably shouldn't have been in the game to begin with. We should have been down 10. If we were more consistent, we, we should have probably, you know, been up 10. And that's, that's one of the things where uh, – you know, we, we just sort of think that if, if, I, if I keep going, if, 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 and then that if never comes. And all we do is end up grinding ourselves down and we get on this quote unquote grind, which I know um, you, you've been, you, you've done a lot of, of talking and writing on. And, um, you know, we can get into a little bit about what your thoughts are there in a little bit, but I want to, this is sort of a, a very long walk for a, a short drink of water, maybe but I want to kind of take this and throw it back to what we prefaced maybe 30 minutes ago is, you know, the question of how do you prioritize something like speed in health and recovery? And, and I just don't think, you know, we pride ourselves on wanting to ask a lot of questions and asking really good questions. I'm not sure that question gets asked. And for a lot of people, it's probably never been asked. How do you prioritize speed and health and recovery. And where, where my mind goes is, you know, quick, fast, if I can recover faster, or if I don't put off going to treatment or yoga, 
and I'm efficient in my recovery plan, then I can get recharged it back to 100%. So basically my pit stops at the gas station are very efficient. We're not sort of lollygagging, um, dilly-dallying around. And, you know, we, we, get, we get to what we need to do a lot faster and quicker so we can get back out there. Um, and so that idea of speed is how fast can I recover? My, my best ability is my availability and I'm not out there. How quickly can I get back? And so we, we're, we're talking about what does speed really mean? And you brought up an incredible point that, again, is just something that I don't think we, it's not naturally where our minds go. And I understand why our minds don't naturally go there. But if we were to, if I were to ask you specifically, how do you prioritize speed in your health and recovery? I think it comes down to what are you defining as speed? I think, you know, when we think about speed, especially in the context of sport, speed in the context of sport generally means fast, or it means yep. like quick change of speed or change yep. of pace. But even within that, you can't go from fast to fast. There's going to be a slow component to change of speed and to speed itself. So zero miles an hour is still a speed. And maybe that's the speed you need to go. And so one of the things like when we're talking about, and this is more from a tactical standpoint in the game of basketball, but when I work with our guards or, or really anybody, but, but particularly our pushers, and I'm going to say guards, our pushers, so that the players that have the green light to get their own rebound and go. We talk about, the, the the space on the court between the arcs as the Audubon. You need to go as fast as you can to get from arc to arc, get into the paint. And then once we're in the paint, that's a school zone, right? So that's kind of the visual and the external cue that we give our players of the ball needs to move as fast as possible between these areas of the court. That is the Audubon. There is no speed limit, just go. Glory. You are, you know, you're an Audi, you're a Maybach, you are, you are a sports car, go. And then as soon as you enter the paint, as soon as you even crack the shell of the three-point line, that's a school zone, right? You got, you got six kids in the minivan and you, you gotta, you gotta really be careful in there, right? We're going to be surgical with how we navigate the car line, right? I know you know all about the car line from your previous oh, yeah. experiences, right? <laughs> So in that same vein, and this is where I think it's funny because like we talk about how sport is the vehicle for life and it models life and this, that, and the other. If we're all Audubon all the time, eventually we got to go in and, and change the tires, right? Eventually it's going to rain. We're going to have to slow down. And so when we're thinking about prioritizing speed and rest and recovery, we can also say that we are prioritizing speed by slowing down. We are prioritizing speed by going slower and doing something more intentional. Now, I think you prevent the need for a full-on shutdown by doing certain things every day or, or with intention every day that sort of serve as your oil changes. So one of the things that, that we recommend to our athletes, and this is something our athletic trainers are really, really good at, is, you know, the after practice 10 minutes in the norm attack or 10 minutes on the game ready just to help with those sort of acute things that tend to build up and become chronic. And so, yes, you are slowing down, but you're also slowing down for a shorter period of time. So there's like multiple levels of speed and prioritization of different speeds, but that's still prioritizing a speed within your rest and recovery. And so then when you're going to sleep, that idea of getting eight hours of sleep in college, like I'm not sure I ever got eight hours of sleep in the throes of college, unless it was like a weekend and we're sleeping until noon. Right. But that's like, un you know, that's interrupted. It's not consistent sleep. So even consistency in the speed that we're going is still prioritizing that speed, even if that speed is slow, because then we can go from slow to fast and fast to slow. And that's OK. Right. So we need to be able to learn to live with peace 
and live with pace. We have to know when to speed up and we have to know when to slow down. And that I think is sort of the art and, and it, it's coupled with the science of putting aside the things we think we want for the things that we need. And that's something that, you know, that's a little bit of the, the coach speak, right? Where we're mm-hmm. like, you know, you put aside what you want now for what you need and you'll get what you want later. All right, well, let's take that advice for a second. If we know our body needs rest, then we need to be able to put aside what we want, which is 10 more reps and, and 10 more minutes in the film room and this, that, and the other to actually get what is going to help our athletes perform at their optimal level and it has been, and quote me, and, and sorry, correct me if I'm wrong from the biology perspective, but the number one thing that is linked to athletic performance is rest mm. and particularly sleep. Sleep and hydrate. Two things we probably do the least of. And two, two visuals I get as you, you speak there is like we, all, we do want to continually improve, right? Like we want to get 1% better and we want to, you know, if you're, not embarrassed by who you are a year ago, then you're not evolving fast enough and those types of things. So like the visual I get when you're talking about that with changing these speeds and kind of throttling back to throttle forward is, is kind of like the way you want to see your, your, you know, your mutual fund or your stock portfolio, right? Like we understand there's going to be ebbs and flows. It's going to go up, it's going to go down. But as long as we're continually trending up, you know, over the course of time, that's what we want to be able to do. What we don't want to do is completely bottom out and flatline because we we got to that point. And every year that I was a head coach, come you know January or so, I I just my body crashed. I crashed. I have to sleep for three or four days. And mine and I, was but mine I, was but sinus thought, infections. Mine was sinus infections was like clockwork at the end of the season. Yep, absolutely. It's gonna happen. And I and not only did I think it was normal, but I thought it was I, I thought it was sort of a badge of honor. Because I wore myself, I worked so hard that I wore myself down. Well, you know, that's that's not great when you're married, but it it's it doesn't work at all when you have kids. And so next thing you know, like you know, my my wife kind of got used to the idea of like, okay, well, you know, these two or three days this weekend, like Kyle's out, he's just gonna this is his his days where he's gonna have to just basically crash. But when you've got a one year old, like you don't get to opt out of that. And and that that was a big changer for me was. Not only was this not not healthy, but it's not normal, and, and and that shouldn't happen. If I'm doing this to myself every year, then my character is low from from this standpoint because those those habits were very consistent, but they weren't good. And so the other thing that this makes me think of, and, and you know, things I've learned from my wife who's in, in medical field, is when we talk about heartbeats, like here people have you know regular heartbeats or irregular heartbeats. But there are there are differences between irregular heartbeats. And as long as you have a regularly irregular heartbeat, there's really not a whole lot to worry about, right? But if you have an irregular, irregular heartbeat, then that's that's cause for concern. So it's not to say that it has to be the same thing all the time. And so I think of kind of the irregular, the change of speed, the change of pace. But as long as that's a consistent change of pace, then it's something that we know is coming up or, or, you know, something that we can sort of plan for, or we know that it is consistent and it's, it's not really causing, um, you know, those types of concerns. And that was a huge, a huge wake up call for me was when I, I, I sort of realized or somebody snapped me out of it and was like, at no point should you have to sleep for three or four days to sort of bounce back. Because you're not doing anybody any good at that point. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't rest, but we have to build those four days worth of rest and spread it out over the course of the entire season. So by the time we hit that point, we're still good to go. And that was, you know, that, that I've, I've had many lessons served to me uh, <laughs> over the years. Um, but that's definitely one of the ones. And, and, and you talking about sort of just changing the sp- speed and, and, and manipulating it and sort of, you know, using this idea of like a thermostat or a dial to kind of turn up, turn down. We have so much more control over that than I think we realize. And, and until we get to a point where we sort of take that control back, 
it's going to be, a, again, it's a, it's a very difficult cycle to break. Um, but we've got to get to a point where our internal voices are stronger than those external formulas to say, you know, you know what? I don't care if the AD walks by today and sees that the lights are off because we're taking care of our business. And, and, and I, that may also speak to some recruiting and some relationship that you need to have with your AD, right? Like they, if they can't trust the fact that you're doing your job because your light's off one night, maybe we've got some other issues going on too. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to hear too, the, you know, you, you wrote a great blog uh, on our site and, you know, we both sort of have addressed this in different ways. Like mine was about the grind. Yours was called the rest is music too. Uh, and I think that story would be really great for coaches to hear. But as you were talking, I was kind of thinking about this from the recruiting aspect. Um, I think if there's any parents out there, if there's any, any recruits listening to this or you know, anybody that has recruiting as part of their, um, their purview, whether it's a college coach or even as a high school coach, I mean, you're, you're recruiting all the time, right? You have all these people that you need to recruit to have a vested interest in the success of your program. So whether that's through player acquisition or it's, it's parents or it's, it's ADs, it's whatever. Um, I've just been thinking on some of these questions that I, I think there's a lot of coaches, teachers, administrators. I mean, think of even from like uh, a CEO's perspective when they're interviewing potential candidates for a job and we're thinking about like, you know, work-life balance and, prioritizing rest and recovery in that set in that space too. Um, you know, and this is where I think coaches, if you have a notebook or if you, you know, you're taking notes on your phone or whatever, like, I think these are things that I would hope that you would write down and be able to answer these questions. And, it, and it's not going to come easily. Um, I don't even know how I would answer some of these questions, but that's why we're here, right. To ask those real relevant and necessary questions, just start this dialogue. Cause I don't think, and, and, and I was talking to a, a colleague of mine and, you know, I asked, I asked her kind of point blank, like how many coaches do you think in the country are having the conversation we're having right now via text message? And she said, like, to be honest, probably not many, because I think culturally we're just so conditioned not to have these conversations. And you just kind of like go with the flow of what's been done. And that's not the right way to handle that. And so, you know, if I were answering or, you know, let's say I was a parent of a recruit, knowing what I know based on the privilege that I have of working where I work, having had the experiences that I've had, here's five questions that I thought of that I think would be great to put coaches on the spot to ask them about rest and recovery in the program. Because I think as, as parents, as people who are helping young people make the next best decision, these are things that we need to help them understand and help them ask about. So the first one would be like, literally asking what are off days like and i think there's some context to that question and if you rewind probably like 10 minutes we just talked about it off days are off days you can go do whatever you want and that's probably the answer that and here's that made up statistic again that 90 percent of coaches are going to get percent like, right like off days are your day go do whatever you want but i think the real savvy coach is going to answer that question very differently. Um, like for me, I would say like, we are going to teach you how to spend your off day doing things that are productive for you through that process of self-reflection, through that rocker process. We want you to come to this realization on your own that you can maximize your off day, even though that sounds as if you're speeding up and you're trying to cram everything in, we can actually maximize by having a very minimalist approach to your off day, right? And so I think that's a, a conversation starter with a young person to ask a coach, especially in that recruiting process, what are your off days like? Not how real many quick, do we get. Yeah. You, real quick, how many of those are, hey, your off day, do what you want. But wink, wink, nudge, nudge, the gun will be up. Oh yeah. And I'll be walking by, you know, and it's right. like, yeah, do what you, you do what you want to do, but real hoopers are going to be in the gym, you know, and I'll know Correct. that. And, and it, so then it's like, well, are my off days really what I want to do? Because mm -hmm. now you're putting that pressure on them to be like, well, I really needed to do this or I wanted to go do that. Or, 
you know, I had a friend come in yeah. town and I wanted to go see them. And it's like, no, I got to go get on the guy because coach kind of expected me, even though it's an off day, it's, it's not really an off day. It's sort of like when we talk about open door policies versus open mind policies. Like, well, I have an open mm-hmm. door policy, but if nobody's coming in the door, you don't really have an open door policy, right? right. Like right. I say that you can do these things, but I'm not, you know, are, are we really sort of allowing the space for those, those to happen? And even, even like taking that a step further, asking that coach what they do on the off days. Coach, yeah, what do you question. do on an off day? Well, I'm in here, you know, eight o'clock in the morning watching film, getting ready for the next. Oh well, no, coach, it's an off day, right? And if that's what you want to do on your off day, fine. But then also don't complain that all you do is watch film and that all you do is prepare for games and the other, and the, you know, the kids are out there gallivanting and doing whatever they're Mm -hmm. yes they're in college they're going to gallivant and do whatever but if we can teach them to use their time more appropriately geared toward prioritizing health rest and recovery we're going to be in good shape so then the next question is and this sort of goes off of the first one how do you prioritize my health and my rest and my recovery during the season so making that an individual question of hey listen i'm different from my teammates how will you understand what I need besides me telling you once my body's you know, not feeling right or whatever, how are you going to use more than just your observational skills to prioritize my health, rest and recovery? Uh, and this is, you know, again, I, I think I mentioned this before, but how do you prioritize your health during the season? And a lot of coaches, listen, a lot of coaches go work out at lunch. A lot of coaches run. They do all of those things. There's more to it than that, right? How are you escaping sort of the grind, the glorified grind of what we're about to do. Not to say that that's not important, right? The work has to be done, but the work can only be done efficiently with a rested mind and a rested body. How are you prioritizing yours? Because I'm not trying to have you be sick during the season and then you're crabby and cranky and this, that, and the other. Um, Another recruiting question. So, you know, things that, that, a high school player should be asking their high school coach, what is the role of our athletic trainers here besides helping me with an injury or something major like rehab? What can we expect the athletic trainers to do? How do we leverage that resource? These are medical professionals with master's degrees. Like they are very good at what they do. How can we leverage our other staff to do that? Again, things that people probably wouldn't think about in the recruiting process Things that in the corporate world, like what are the wellness policies that we have? Who will we have here that can help me with this? Things that need to be asked to start that conversation. And then the last one is how do you plan practice to prioritize our health as players? So I think if you asked any coach, and here's that 90% number again, 90% of them would say like practices get shorter once we get into like January. Yeah. Okay, like 15 minutes shorter, but then we're spending that extra 15 minutes watching more film or we're doing more scouting, or we're doing more of this, doing more of that. Like, if we can put that thought into coaches' minds, that how we plan practice, how we plan our 168s, that number of hours that we get in the week, how we do that will help create priorities for our players. We're going to start to see a seismic shift in how we plan practice, how we create those environments, the rest periods that are within practice, and the rest periods that are outside of practice, where the athletic experience as a whole, and I firmly believe this, and maybe I'm more optimistic than most people, I think I've been accused of being optimistic, is that will create a healthier environment where athletes will feel comfortable advocating for themselves, and that will help them make the next best decision. Yeah, that's very well put. And and I know so far in this episode or, or two, however long this we've been going on this, that it's been pretty not only athletic centric, but very basketball centric. But again, don't think that this is just high school athletes asking college coaches these questions. You know, this this applies in any kind of context. It could be from an employee to a, a potential employer or a boss. And you probably sit there thinking, well, if I go in and I ask these five questions, like I'm not going to get hired. You know, and that's sort of the, you know, that that's the culture that we've created, right? Like if I walk into an interview and I'm like, hey, what are my off days like here? They're going to be like, oh, well, if all you're interested in is your off days, you're not going to get hired. And so, again, we just sort of fall right back into this, you know, this 
this grind again that we keep talking about, but not so much you as the employee, but especially if you're the, if you're the, the boss, if, if you're the leader of, you know, your, your group or your organization or your team, or, you know, again, whatever your context is, if you're the sergeant or lieutenant on your, your shift, thinking through these things of like, okay, if somebody were to ask me these questions, could I answer them? How would I answer them? And again, this is what we, what we sort of hope to be about is asking questions that maybe previously are not thought of, and, and we don't know how to answer them. And they're extremely difficult. And yeah, we don't have, I mean, we were in a, in a group chat with one of our EC members yesterday, I think, you know, talking about the Monday night chat. And they were like, I don't have answers to these. And we were like, great. That's, you know, we don't have answers for them yet. You know, the idea is to talk about them now. So you don't need to necessarily have an answer on August 2nd, you know, but we want to make sure that we've got an answer come December 2nd, you know, February 2nd or next August 2nd. Doesn't necessarily have to be today, but we've got to start working towards those things. And so just putting these sort of in the Rolodex of questions of, okay, I might want to ask these, but I might not ever see myself asking somebody this, but what if somebody were to ask them to me? How would I answer them? And I, I think that's that carries, you know, just as much value, if not more, um, when we're when we're thinking about these things. For sure. And so and so it's it's great that you bring that up because I think that's a really natural segue to the idea that the rest is music too. Um, and I, I would hope that you can dive into that a little bit because it's a phrase that I have actually started using with recruits with our current players with with people in my life like i and and so funny because i think they don't realize what i'm saying because they think like the rest as in like what's left over and i'm like no 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 no. like not the rest like the rest of the pizza after i take my two slices it's the rest within the song and it's such a great like visual and sort of of um maybe visual is not the right word, but sort of this like cue for them because you can talk about like the beat dropping in a song. Well, if the beat's going to drop, there has to be rest before it, right? There's something that leads up to that. So I'll stop. I want you to explain that with your <laughs> music background because I think that's really going to help solidify this idea for people. Yeah, so when I was in college, again, I, I mentioned this before, but I was, I was in the band um, and got barely recruited to play basketball and got barely recruited to play music. And it was like, okay, well, I'll go with whoever pays me the most money. And well, the $850 band scholarship was more, <laughs> more money than any basketball money that was being thrown at me. So I was, I, I was, I was in the band, I was a drummer and marching band, concert band, percussion ensemble, the hoop troop, all of that. And, and, and again, I've, I've been very, you know, very positive and open about again, music being such a big part of my background and what all I learned. Um, you know, through those experiences. And one of the things that um, really stuck out to me uh, one day was our, our conductor in a, in a concert season, J-Rob. Um, we were playing this really fantastic piece. And for the life of me, I cannot remember what it is. And if there happens to just off chance that somebody that I was in band with in college knows <laughs> the song that I'm talking about, please reach out to me and tell me what it is. And I can't remember what it was, but it was this this insanely beautiful and dramatic piece that just, it just built over minutes and built and built and built and built. And it, it reached this, this apex of this one particular note where we came back in, but there was this one rest that just sort of time stops. And so it built, 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 built. There was this rest and then boom, we just punched you right in the face with some of the, you know, the most brilliant music you've ever heard. And over the course of all the rehearsals that we that we were in getting ready to play this piece, we probably spent made up statistic, but not quite so much. Ninety percent of that song on this one particular section built around this rest. And we were all sort of confused while we were working on that. And, and he he sort of stopped to basically give us a life lesson there. And the thing that he would say was the rest is music too, pertaining to that one note where there is no sound because out of that entire brilliant piece, it all falls flat. If that rest was not 
perfect. If, if from the, the music that built to the cutoff, the rest, and then everybody coming in on cue, on note, everything, that's what made that song powerful. And that's where it got its life from. And it wasn't all of the notes that were being played. There were thousands of notes being played in the song. It had nothing to do with the notes that were being played. The most important note in the entire piece was the one note that didn't technically exist. It was the one where there was no sound. And and I have thought about that. I mean, that's been oof, 15 years ago, you know, by now. But I still think about that almost daily, that the rest is music too. And sometimes the most important note that we might play throughout our day is the note that we don't play at all that prioritizing that rest, prioritizing that recovery, prioritizing the speed at which we recover, again, which might mean quick, it might mean nothing at all. And, and, And we had to prioritize the speed at which we got into that particular resting note and the speed at which we came out of it. To, to sort of do that that song justice. And I think it's a great metaphor for our seasons and our teams and our life because we're constantly playing notes, constantly playing notes. And there's just not enough of those rests built in. And, and really, when you think about it, music is not built around the notes. It's built around the, the notes that aren't being played. And, and when, a, when a song begins, when a song ends, like you're talking about, when, when certain beats drop in music, um, that that really is sort of the essence behind what makes music or that particular performance successful. And so I think if you think about it from those terms of what's going to make our season successful, what's going to make this game successful, what's going to make a, a practice successful, what's going to make my career successful, it's building in the necessary notes and not just rest for rest's sake, right? Like that, that was placed there very strategically. And knowing sort of when and where we need to place those and when to play them and then to play them well, not just to have a rest, but to make it efficient and, 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 and capitalize on that particular rest um, ends up being maybe the most important thing that, that we do. And maybe not, not do for ourselves, but do for our players or do for our, our students, our athletes, or our, our employees or our, our families. Right. Like think, just think about where we're factoring and building and rest to be with our, our families. And it's just something that we're not very naturally, not naturally good at um, because we're told that we don't need to be. Um, and so that that has always been been something that I'm not saying that I'm great at it. I, I usually I think about this story when I know that I'm playing too many notes and I feel like I haven't had that rest in a while. And that's when this this comes back to me. And I'm like, you know what, I need to. I need to do something. It may be, and maybe you can't get away for an entire weekend, you know, because you are in the middle of a season, but a five minute meditation, you know, 10 minutes worth of yoga, a a coffee break, you know, just walking around outside, you know, across your campus, like whatever it is, there's no right or wrong way to necessarily to to play your rest, but figuring out what your rest is, is, and, and sort of where you can start building in more of those. I think it will, you know, for lack of the, you know, kind of having a cheesy metaphor here, it will help you play better music, you know, in your life. And when you, when you tie that back into your sport and your performance, I think you're going to have more willing participants in your athletes because they know that those rests are coming. And I love that story because it's such a powerful visual that anybody who listens to music understands how that makes sense. Even if they don't understand how the music was composed, they understand that that makes sense. But I want to ask, and and sort of as a follow-up to that, do you think there's some, and the the answer to this is probably yes, but I'm curious about your opinion and then as coaches that are listening to this, like reach out and maybe help answer this question. Like, is there an inherent devaluation of rest because it makes us feel like we're being lazy when really we're prioritizing ourselves and we've been taught that like this idea of servant leadership means you have to continually be serving everybody all the time. And it's the equivalent of having too many tabs open at once. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously we're, we would, we would very much be on the, on board with the servant leadership part. Like, I mean, that's, that's what we aim to do every day. Like we want to serve, but you know, you, you do have to serve yourself. 
and you have to serve yourself to serve your families. And, you know, what is it they say? You, you can't, um, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Like you have to refill. And again, like you can't keep driving cross country on this really great trip if we don't stop and fill up the gas tank from time to time. But nobody looks at the car filling up their gas tank and goes, wow, they're being really lazy. I mean, even I'm not a, I'm not a, 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 a car racing fan, NASCAR, Indy racing fan, but nobody that's watching a, a NASCAR or Indy 500 or whatever is watching the driver pull into the pit stop and go, wow, I can't believe they're doing that. How lazy it's necessary. Mm-hmm. You can't finish the race unless you pit stop. And again, those pit stops are very efficient. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. purpose and there's rhyme and reason to them and they're not technically off, but that's a, that's a recovery piece, right? Like you cannot mm-hmm. continue the race unless you build those in. But, and so nobody, nobody drives by the gas station and sees somebody filling up their car, getting a, a you know, a soda or a food or whatever. And be like, man, I can't believe they're, they're doing that. How lazy is that? But when we take the day off or the gym is empty or the lights are off in the office, or we put our, our messages on, you know, do not disturb or out of the office email reply comes back. Our, our inherent first thought is like, yeah, they're, they're being lazy. Like, I can't believe I can't reach a seam right now. Like, what could he possibly be doing that's more important than, you know, answering my calls or, or, or taking care of my task or whatever. And we're so, in 2022, we're so available. It's so easy to connect with anybody at any point in time, you know, through technology, which has its many, many, many blessings and wonders. But there is sort of that, that, that issue that we can't turn the world off. And on somewhat of a related note, I suppose we've talked about this before, like, um, you know, what, what is the value in saying no? If you, if you, if you cannot say no, then where's the value in saying yes. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean that, and that's sort of the point, right? I even think it's so funny that, you know, probably when you and I were growing up, like AOL instant messenger was like the thing. (laughs) Right. And we all had these away messages that was telling people like, hey, like I'm not around as opposed to just like not being around. And the adult equivalent of that is putting on your vacation responder to let people know when you're going to be back to, to like go back to work and, and like grind again. You know, like almost as if like we have to let people know that this rest is just temporary or this absence from, you know, what we deem to be important, but really is somewhat insignificant. If you think about the greater scope of, of, you know, the universe, right? Like the James Webb telescope has proved that to us. Like I shouldn't have to quantify when I'm going to be back from my pit stop, right? So that it serves your need to be communicated with. And I think maybe that's something that has, has sort of trickled into all aspects of life from like the corporate world that our players feel like they have to be able to do that. Our coaches feel like they have to be able to do that. I think it's, you know, it's something that we should be able to reconsider and really empower our athletes, empower coaches to make decisions that are both selfish and work in their self-interest. And so for me being an, an economics and business guy, like the whole study of economics is based around the fact that, you know, the individual is going to act in their own self-interest. And so it may be in my self-interest to help you, which then allows us to both make money or whatever it is. But in the same vein, thinking that economical approach where you would more probably take, I think like an ecological approach being the biology guy, like understanding that it is in my self-interest to be selfish today and not do what, like not do this work because I need to prioritize me because it works in my self-interest. If I am available and I am healthy, that our thing will do better. And I think we forget that when we move outside of theory, we don't apply that theory to real life. And I think as, as coaches and as athletes and people who are listening to this, taking that sort of economical approach to say, what is in my best self-interest right now? And that may be shutting it down, even though that feels selfish, 
because in my self-interest, I want our team to be better. And that to me is the ultimate piece of that servant leadership part is really like you do have to act in your self-interest and some of that sometimes it may not be what is best for you, but it is best for our team. And thus it is in your self-interest to take a break. Um, and maybe that's some cognitive dissonance for some people, but there, there is a piece of that that we can apply some of those interdisciplinary theories to. And then people start to question like, hey, why do I do this? And that's the whole point. We want to stimulate that part of that thinking. Yeah, that's the, that's the rocka part, right? We want to mm-hmm. raise the, you know, reflect on it to raise the awareness, to build the clarity and the alignment to get us to the success, the congruence of it. But I think ultimately what you're talking about here is why should I have to quantify when I will be back? Why should I have to do that? And it, it comes back to what everything you know, at least in our minds comes back to, and that's the human component. It's the trust. Like if I trust you and respect you and understand that we've got, you know, this understanding here, then I, I can trust the fact that you're going to take that day off the 30 minutes to miss the practice, whatever, that you're not doing it just to, you know, be lazy or, you know, not for whatever reason, you, there is a reason why you're doing that. And I need to be able to trust you to take care of your business because if you can go take care of your business, it's going to help us take care of ours. And, you know, I, I would rather, I just would, I would rather my team in the last game of the season, whether that be a playoff game, a state championship game, whatever, I want my team to be the healthier team, to be the, 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 the best rested, the most recovered team. And while we might be a little rusty, a little dusty, we might not be quite as, you know, mechanistic and sharp and, you know, we're an army and all those types of things. Like maybe some of that rust needs to get knocked off in the first quarter, second quarter, and we can buy ourselves some time, but come third and fourth quarter, or maybe potentially overtime, double overtime, triple overtime. If we're more prepared to sort of go the distance and win that war of attrition, then we're more likely to thrive not necessarily just survive those instances. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is to allow people to take care of those things, to build in their rest. But the only way we can build in those rests and allow people the space to do that, got to be able to trust each other. I've got to be able to understand that if I say, look, it's two o'clock, I'm bailing, I'm going to the movies, I'm picking up my daughter and we're going to the park or we're going to go do this, I need the day. If, if I know I can say that without you rolling your eyes or, you know, making a comment behind my back in the office or, or whatever the case may be, like if I can trust that I can do it and you can trust to allow me to do it, then we're both coming back to the office better for each other and, and for ourselves. And over the course of time, again, if we go back to that sort of that stock market, you know, graph, you know, we go down a little bit, but we're constantly trending upward. Then, then we are we are stacking the deck in our favor to be the team that sort of outlasts in that this war of attrition, which a lot of times it is. Like there, there we've talked about how there are just certain things out of our control. It helps to be lucky. It helps to mm-hmm. to stay healthy and not have those freak injuries. It helps if your team doesn't get hit by COVID, you know, with a a, a close contact and you've got a trace, and now three of your players are out before a game, like. Those are things that we didn't think we used to have to worry about. And now all of a sudden that we do. So we've got to be able to stack those things in our favor even more so. And the, it, it really does sometimes sort of turn into this, this attrition battle. And if we can be the last one standing, not just from a survival standpoint, but if we can thrive through those things, mm-hmm. it doesn't guarantee us a win. It doesn't because nothing will. But we can at least it, at hashtag add aces to our deck to give us the best possible chance to quote unquote win. Yeah. And just to, to, as we wrap up here, what you're describing is really an equitable approach to what we're trying to do as a team, right? We are creating an equitable environment where people can feel like they need, they can do what they need to do. And they can go get their rest and they can be, come back and be the best versions of themselves without feeling as if they're letting somebody down or they have to live up to some expectation that they simply just can't. 
And I think you alluded to it earlier, but one of the things that, that we tend to say, and, and this is something that I think we've probably said on somebody else's podcast or in a clinic or something like that, this expectation of giving 100%, 100% of the time is impossible. Mm. But we do right. want 100% of what you can give that day. And that goes to the idea of speed too. Maybe you can give 100% this day of what you have and your speed is out of control and you're good. And sometimes you just got to slow it down and maybe all you can give to us today is 60%. But I want 100% of that 60% because I trust you because of our relationship, because of the recruiting that we've done through this human component wheel that you do have the best of intentions. And I know because you're able to give me that feedback as a coach and you are the athlete saying, coach, I got 60% today for you. Great. Well, we're going to maximize that 60%. You're going to feel really good about maximizing that 60%. And if at any point you feel like you can't do it, we know that we can have that conversation. That right there has taken this idea of rest and recovery into the space that, that I do a lot of work in with, with DEI and things like that and helped create that as part of an equitable approach to coaching. So if you think about it, we've got sort of these three E's going on now, right? There's the ecological approach, the bio guy. There's the economical approach, the business guy. And then there's the equitable approach, which is where we want to take society in general, right? So think about like the, the evolution of what we just talked about over the last hour and a half. I'm hopeful that coaches see and administrators, teachers, whoever see how all of these things are connected how they're all interrelated and they start to ask themselves some of those questions about creating a better environment, creating a more economical environment where the return on investment is higher and where we can create a more equitable environment through creating those authentic connections and really allowing people to prioritize their self-interest through rest and recovery and by which we should then be able to prioritize speed and health connections and engagement as well.